Well, welcome back, or should I say, hey, I'm back after about five weeks of not preaching. Um, I'm so grateful that the leadership of our church, the elders, uh, uh, kind of encouraged me to take August uh, a little easy, a little rest uh, period, and uh, then they, along with um, our two other pastors, uh, took on the uh, the different uh, sermons uh, during the weekend. So uh, hopefully you've been able to hear them. It's good to know that uh, I could fall off the face of the earth and know that our church is still going to be fed because we've got some capable men who can bring the Word of God in a very a powerful way to us. So uh, welcome back to you, to the Powell Butte Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast, but welcome back to me as well. Uh, a two-week series that we're going to get into because right now as school begins, as the fall uh, launches, we are launching our life group ministry again. And to us, life groups are very, very important. A lot of new people, though, have no idea why they are important. And so this week and next week are all about why do you why, why do you need a life group? Why do we push life groups? Why is that a part of our church life here at Powell Butte? And so, uh, anyway, that's that's what you'll hear this week and next week as well. So, welcome back. I, I, I want to begin with just reading a passage from Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 9 through 18. If you have your Bible, go to Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9 and continuing through verse 18. It says this, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor uh, serving the Lord. And be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. And here's my very favorite verse from Romans is, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I don't know if you uh, <clears throat> like to watch musicals uh, either on stage or uh, when they're filmed. One of my very favorites is The Music Man. The Music Man, uh, in a nutshell, is about a con man, a con artist who uh, travels the mid part of America, middle part of America back in the early 1900s, uh, selling boys' bands to these little communities. And he goes to River City, Iowa. And he's going to sell the boys' band. The, the The problem is, is he doesn't know music at all. So, I, ironically, he's the music man, but he he does not know. He's not a musician. He's not a music professor, though he claims to be. And, and uh, instead of gathering all the boys together and having a rehearsal uh, so that they can actually learn their instruments, he, he tells them that he has developed something new called the Think system, which means that um, once the boys got their instruments, whether it be a, a trumpet or a trombone or whatever, a flute, <clears throat> clarinet, they're all to think the minuet in, in G. And, and he says the think system is that when you think it, uh, eventually it will come out in your instrument. Well, obviously, when they come together at the end of the movie, it's obvious they had no clue what they're doing because the think system doesn't work. Uh, you you got to practice. You have to practice. You got to be taught, and you have to practice. You can't just think that it's all going to happen, and it and it happens. 
Well, let's let's talk about that concept. What happens when you don't put things into practice? Uh, things stay mere theory. Uh, what happens when you approach your reality with something as bogus as the think system? You know, as a pastor, it frustrates me to see so many believers who have come to salvation, which is awesome, but then they never really actually grow. They never actually do what somebody who is saved does. I I know so many believers who hear about a spiritual life. They read about a spiritual life, but it's the think system for them. They never actually get out there and actually experience spiritual life. They don't practice what spiritual life is all about. For them, it seems like their connection with their faith is a nice get-out-of-hell-free card, uh, but it's not rooted in their reality on a day-to-day basis. Now, we read that passage from Romans 12, and and Romans 12 is actually a very practical part of Scripture. Now, I realized this about 25 years ago when I was still teaching uh, middle school uh, kiddos at the church in Napa, California. And we were going through the book of Romans, and uh, we got to this amazing and well-known passage, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, which says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, that's something that I heard so many times in lessons and in sermons but oddly enough, as preachers would preach that, as the, the, the teachers would teach us that, nobody actually really told me what it meant to offer my body as a living sacrifice. I mean, I was told to do it, but there was never any practical um, uh, living that out. There, there was no practical instruction on how I become a living sacrifice. Yeah, I understand it was my spiritual act of worship, but what did that look like? Nobody ever told me. But as I was teaching these middle schoolers and I was preparing for this lesson, this particular lesson, all of a sudden it hit me. Wait a second. Paul actually tells us what it means to be a living sacrifice. It's the rest of chapter 12 and all of chapter 13 and the first part of chapter 14. I mean, Paul tells us there's no guesswork. He tells us exactly what it means. And you get this incredible practical teaching about how to live out my faith once I am saved. And we see through what Paul writes in the last part of chapter 12 and all of chapter 13 and the beginning of chapter 14, we see that our faith will affect every part of our life, our our civic life, our relationship with unbelievers, our relationship with God, our relationship with other believers. And that's the context our relationship with other believers. That's the context that we find ourselves in as we look at why life groups. This is where the rubber will meet the road. Because by putting this into practice, you no longer have a theoretic faith, something that is in um, the, the, the books and the books only. You know, you really need to find a laboratory where you can actually put this into practice. This is no longer uh, what I call um, coffee mug spirituality, um, where there's a nice inspiring verse that gets us going in the morning with our morning coffee. This is actually what God calls us to do in reality, to actually do. But in our society, we have become so fragmented, we are so busy, we do so many different things out there that it's hard to find a rehearsal time. 
it's, it's hard to find a laboratory that we can actually begin to experiment and put things into practice, what Paul outlines for us. Now, when you and I get saved, did you know that Jesus actually envisioned something happening in us? Not, not just that he gave us a free ticket to heaven. That's beautiful. But he also envisioned something for this life as well. He, he says in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, I've come to bring you life. And he's not necessarily talking just about eternal life. He says, I came to bring you life, more and better life. I, I love the, uh, the message translation, more and better life than you could ever dream of. Here in this present life, that's what Jesus envisions for us. A, a life that reflects his holiness and righteousness. A, a life where we actually practice obedience to what he wants us to do. A life of service. A life of love. That's what it means to be saved, folks. It's not just, hey, I get to go to heaven at the end of my life. Everything Jesus did in the presence of his disciples, he intended for them to one day emulate, to follow his model, to follow in his footsteps. In John chapter 15, he was very specific. He says, I want you to love one another as I as I have loved you. He modeled it, and then he wanted his followers to emulate that. And that's what Paul is saying, by the way, in, in Romans chapter 12. Because he says, listen, if you're going to put your life on the altar, which is your spiritual act of worship, then you are to no longer conform to the pattern of this world, but you are to be transformed by thinking differently by the renewal of your mind. And that's where the practical application comes. He begins in verse 9 by saying, love must be not theoretic, not something that uh, sounds nice, not something inspirational. Love must be sincere. What a great portion of Scripture to memorize, by the way. Love must be sincere. And, and not just to keep that as a think system, but something that truly transforms the way you think and the way you live from being self-centered to being one who will shine Jesus's light into this dark world. See, there's no question that Jesus called us to a life of love. In Scripture, we see that we are to love other people. We're to love our enemies. We're to love the world. We're to pray for those who persecute us. It's pretty obvious that Jesus calls us to love people who are in the world, who are out there, those people who are yet to find eternal and abundant life. But what what Paul is saying here in Romans 12 is a little different, okay? In fact, he echoes what Jesus taught in John 13 when Jesus says, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, again, he says, so must you love one another. And then he said this, Jesus says, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples. And he doesn't say that you have a Bible college degree. By this college degree, all men will know you're my disciples. He doesn't even say by this love that you have for sinners and, and people who are not yet saved, people will know you're my disciples. He says, no, no, no. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Now, I know modern theologians who point out the, the power of loving the world in order to win some people to Jesus. And, and, and Jesus does bring up love for those who are still lost as he teaches um, how, how the world will know that we follow him. But Jesus says that the world is really going to know that we follow him if we have love, not for the world, but for one another. In other words, he's talking about this group of people known as the church. He, he says, by this, 
all men will know you're my disciples if you love those in the church. If you, as the member of a bot of the body of Christ, if you will love one another. It's like he's saying to the disciples, listen, if you can't get it right in here, then what hope do we have at getting it right out there? In other words, if we are his uh, if we, as his people, are more noted for our division than our devotion, then how in the world will the world get to see what authenticity is all about and what uh, the, the true love of Jesus is all about? So, uh, like I said, today's the first week of a two-week series about the crucial nature of small groups, because I believe small groups are the laboratory in which we get to practice this. And we, we begin to see what it looks like. Um, for the next two weeks, we have tables set up in our foyer because I want this to be very practical. I want people to actually look to see what groups we have available for them and give us a a, a try. Uh, take a risk. Get out there and say, you know what? I will try to be a part of a group and see what happens in my life as I begin to do life with other people in a small group. And And why do we do this? Well, because... We have to have a rehearsal hall. We have to have a rehearsal hall. And anymore, like I said, with our lives being so busy, it doesn't just automatically happen anymore because we are surrounded by the world so much more than we are surrounded by God's people. See, Jesus envisioned a strong church, a group of committed followers who could not be stopped, even by the gates of Hades. And believe me, Satan has tried to defeat the church from the outside throughout the centuries. But unfortunately, when the church has been the weakest, it's not from outside attack. In fact, when there's outside attack, the church becomes strong. So the danger is not from the outside attack. It's from within. It's because of inside strife and division. The church, Jesus says, cannot, will not be defeated. But unfortunately, throughout the centuries, there have been times where the church has definitely been divided. You know, united we stand, divided we fall. That was a principle upon which America was founded over 200 years ago. Thirteen wildly different colonies coming together for a common purpose to defeat a common enemy. That's the way America survived their uprising. But the same holds true for the kingdom of God. Because even though you don't have anything else in common with a another believer— Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 that you and that person that you have nothing in common with except for your faith in him. Jesus prayed for unity in John 17, that his all of his followers would not be divided, but would be unified. And yet, the state of the church today, especially in the West, we have allowed ourselves to allow, we have allowed ourselves to be pulled apart. We have allowed our differences to be more important than what we have in common. And to some degree, unfortunately, I was just talking to somebody about this the other day, we've allowed America's rugged individualism that really helped shape uh, the, the pioneering spirit in America. Well, we have allowed that to seep into the church, and we've allowed rugged individualism to replace Jesus's vision of unity and, and interdependence. And so we've grown apart. We see other believers for maybe an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, but we never truly get to know one another, to truly support one another, and to love one another. 
See, the essence of Paul's teaching in Romans chapter 12 about truly transforming our minds to put ourselves on the altar as living sacrifices, pleasing and acceptable to God, is found in the declaration love must be sincere. In other words, you got to put feet to your faith, right? You can't fake what true love is because true love is a verb. There's action to it. It's something that must be demonstrated outwardly. So God loved the world in this way, John 3.16 says, that he did something. There was evidence. There was proof because he sent his son. So God showed us because Jesus does. Love does. That's what Jesus calls us into as well. It's all about love. Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, what are the greatest commandments? There are 613 commands in, in the Old Testament. So which one is the most important, Jesus? And he said, well, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says, and the second one is just as good, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, all the scripture is hanging on those two. It's all about love for God and love for people. Love God with everything you are, everything you have, because that's why you were created, by the way, to have a relationship with your creator, to be connected to him to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. And then number two, to to turn around and love people with the same kind of love that God has shown to us. In Romans 12, Paul is speaking about love, a love for God that is demonstrated through love for other people. And so he describes it beautifully in action words, so many action words, so many verbs in the passage that we read, be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Be willing to associate with those of low position. And if it is possible, live at peace with everyone. Oh my goodness. This church is what love looks like. Love does. It's not just a squishy, mushy feeling. No, it's it's actually putting it into practice. Putting other people ahead of yourself being devoted to one another and sharing with one another and rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourning with those who mourn and practicing hospitality. This is so different from the world system of every man for himself. And because it is, in order to truly live this out, we have to get out of the world on a regular basis. We have to put ourselves in situations where we have a choice to live sacrificially. Now, where was that supposed to happen according to Jesus? They will know that you're my disciples by our love, by our love. And and how is that going to play out? Not our love for the world, but our love for each other. That plays out in the church. That, that plays out in the body of believers who have committed themselves to deny themselves and pick up their cross daily and follow Jesus. The church was designed to be a place where people could see needs and not just say, hey, <laughs> sorry about your situation. I'll, I'll be praying for you. Praying for people is great, by the way. But if it stops there, if there's not a willingness to sacrifice, if there is the, uh, if you have the means to which you can help somebody out, if there's not this willingness to sacrifice when it's needed in order to help meet the needs of others, then we're not really doing what Jesus wanted us to do. And by the way, this is not just about financial needs, although that was something seen in the early church. 
the book of Acts chapter 4 tells us that there are no needy persons among them because from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money to the apostles and laid it at their feet. And then the the apostles distributed it to people who had need. So I'm not just talking about financial needs, although that was there, but I'm also talking about the needs of the lonely, the needs of the hurting, the needs of the single mom, the the, the needs of the one who lost a spouse, the needs of those who are struggling with sin that they know is wrong, but they just can't find a way out of that pit. How did the, the book of Acts, Christians, for the book of Acts, how did the early church get to that point where there were no needy persons among them, that people were willing to give sacrificially? Well, you got to go a couple chapters before that to Acts chapter 2, where it says they devoted themselves They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship. By the way, that's a word that we're going to look at next week and see what that's all about. Um, They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. In verse 46, we read, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, which was their big church meeting like we have on a Sunday morning. And then they broke bread in their homes, which was their small group ministries, by the way. And then they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then once again in Acts 5, 42, we, we read that day after day in the temple courts, again, their big church gathering, and from house to house, there it is, their small group gathering, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. What was the result of their devotion to meeting the needs of each other, to meet together in large group gatherings and in small group gatherings? Well, we're told that God continued to bring people into their midst, into the kingdom as he granted them salvation. Now, here's what I've observed in my life as a believer in the Western world. You know, again, we get so busy. We get so fragmented with all these things in our life, our work, family, kids' activities, social connections, civic responsibilities. And we're fine, for the most part, with coming to a large gathering on the weekend for a short period of time, as long as it doesn't interfere with something more important like soccer. I, Sorry, I, that was very passive-aggressive of me. <laughs> um, but we see that part of our lives, we see that part of our lives, the spiritual growth part of our lives, well, that's just another spoke in this large wheel of our life. Another wedge in our pie, if you will. No important than any other. But if you don't elevate the gathering together with other believers to do life together, then it will be hit and miss in learning how to love sincerely. Because it's harder to do all of the one another's of Scripture, many of which are outlined in Romans 12. It's harder to do those, to obey the one another commands because we're not doing life together with other believers as much as we're doing life on our own in so many different areas and varieties of social circles that we have in our life. And so at church on the weekend, during the large gathering, it's so easy to just fall back to the, hey, how you doing type of conversations. Frankly, we don't provide much of a chance here at the large gathering for you to practically live out practical, sincere love. So church, if the only time that you connect with somebody else is for an hour and a half on Sunday morning, then how in the world can you obey the principles found in Romans 12? How can you share with those in need? How can you practice hospitality, for example? 
Where are the opportunities to mourn with those who mourn or to rejoice with those who rejoice? What if Powell Butte Christian Church was more than just people coming together each week, sitting next to somebody else for an hour and a half, singing a few songs and listening to somebody talk before walking out of the building to go back to facing your own struggles in your own life, all on your own. What if there was an opportunity for you to begin to um, build real relationships with folks who go through the same struggles as you do, learning how to care for one another in the way that Jesus called us to care and how Paul describes in, in Romans 12? What if there was a way that we could do that? Well, guess what? (laughs) The Bible actually gives us a blueprint on how to build community. A a community of folks who are deeply committed to one another, deeply connected with one another, deeply concerned about one another, encouraging each other to live out the principles of Scripture, willing to link arms with somebody else in order to fulfill the great commission of Christ. That blueprint is there. It's a model that we have presented for decades here at Powell Butte, and it's the model of a small group ministry. In the book of Acts, we see that the early church combated division with devotion. They connected, not just in the temple courts, but they they connected from house to house in small groups. Yes, the large gathering was important, But the day-to-day connection with one another in small groups is how they were able to move from the think system to actually playing music that is beautiful, the kind of music that Jesus composed for the world to hear from his followers. Love must be sincere. Not a facade, not a theory, not a think system. Love must do. It must rally around those who grieve. It must provide a place of belonging for those who are lonely. It must be willing to stop one's schedule in order to help somebody else in need. And again, while you might be able to get this all done on a Sunday morning, there's a better rehearsal hall available to you. And this is the first reason why we once again will launch our life groups, because there's nothing else that we have found practically outlined in Scripture that gives us the opportunity to live out the command of Jesus to love each other sincerely. That's a group of people who are going to meet from house to house, in addition to the larger group meeting, uh, as they would meet at the temple on a regular basis. Now, we try to encourage the opportunity to gather in a small group once a week. I, I hope you understood that that's even different than what the early church was all about, because the early church did it daily, if if you recall. Small groups were that important to their very existence. So the question is, is why wouldn't that be the same for us? Why would it be any different for you and me? You know, in the Garden of Eden, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And though in that context, God was speaking of the companionship of a man and a woman in marriage, the the principle still applies to the church as well. God never intended for any of us to live out our faith in isolation. Healing does not happen in a vacuum, nor does accountability or generosity, or genuine caring. It's only when we begin to devote ourselves to building authentic community with one another that we find the life that Jesus came to bring to us. Almost 80 years years ago, there's a small group of folks in central Oregon who were devoted to one another, and they began a body of believers gathering on a regular basis. In fact, it was two weeks ago that I received a text from Clay saying 79 years ago today, PBCC was officially organized. 
This church was begun as a small gathering, one where people knew one another, who came together to meet the needs of their uh, of each other. It was easier for them to connect because back then this area was so tight-knit and small. And because of their devotion, God blessed the ministry of this church. Now, over the years, we've grown. And we've grown considerably from that those early days. People have moved in from all over to live in this amazing place called Central Oregon. But with that growth comes the tendency to stay to ourselves. To uh, As we get home from work, we just kind of drive into our garage and head into the house without connecting with anybody, uh, any of our neighbors that live around us. And while it's nice to have a nice service to attend regularly um, here in our historic chapel or our worship center and to see folks on a fairly regular basis, that's nice. But in order to actually be obedient to the one another commands, well, we can't leave it at nice to see people on a regular basis, to to come in and feel good about our worship time and, and say, oh, the sermon was decent and the songs were performed well. Now we want to go back to our regularly scheduled lives. No, that's not what Jesus envisioned for you to live like. That's not how he envisioned his disciples to demonstrate to the world that we're his followers. We must never be content to avoid the experience of sincerely loving one another. And whether that means you get connected to a small group that studies the Bible once a week, or maybe you're in, involved in a team that serves together, uh, putting chairs up um, on a regular basis, or, or being a listener uh, with other uh, adults at our Awana Kids Club, or, or maybe uh, becoming a, a counselor, a sponsor for our youth group. Or or maybe you're just part of a group that goes out and takes care of the needs of our community, uh, the widows and the orphans. See, all of those groups can provide opportunities to live out love, as outlined in Romans 12. Love must be sincere. So even though you're listening to this podcast from home, I, I would challenge you, find a way of connecting with other believers. Because as good as this is for you to hear God's word preached, electronically, in the comfort of your own space. God still wants something more for your life. He He wants you to find a group of believers that you can actually live out love. And so maybe that's a small group of uh, Christian co-workers, uh, and you guys get together uh, during lunch once a week uh, for a Bible study or, or just for prayer time. Or, or or maybe there is a church close to where you live, and, and maybe God's calling you to go and just be a part of a smaller group there. Anyways, it's something that uh, I will—that's a drum that will, I will continually beat because it's so important for us to live out loud, to live the life that Jesus wants us to live. And love must be sincere. Well, thank you for uh, tuning in. Uh, thank you. It's it's good to be back. Thank you, uh, Lisa uh, Welly, for being our executive producer. Thank you, uh, Steve Pittman, for being our tech guru here at the church. And uh, if you're ever in our neck of the woods in Central Oregon, come come visit us and let us know that you've been listening to us. If you have any questions or anything like that, of course, you can just uh, email me at Trey, T-R-E-Y, T-R-E-Y dot P-B-C-C at gmail.com. And I'd love to hear from you as well. God bless you. And we'll uh, talk to you next week. <music>